One thing I've noticed is that some people can really sing. And their voice is somehow uplifting, moving, uh, enchanting in a sense. And I've noticed also that some people can't sing. (laughs) And you would never characterize their singing as enchanting or anything like that. Uh, Years ago, all the the churches used to have uh, choirs. And that was a thing for a long time, having, having a choir. Uh, we don't really have that anymore. But uh, if you go to these big churches in the south, you have a choir with an orchestra, and it sounds awesome. But most of the churches, medium-sized, small churches, churches up here in the northeast, if they would have had a choir, <clears throat> would have just been okay, Right? You remember the cantata? Some of you might remember. Cantata. Anyway, what happens, though, in those smaller choirs in the churches is that anyone can come and join the choir. Though sometimes the person who wants to be part of it and is, wants to serve, you know, and, and do help the church <clears throat> can't sing. So you got a choir but you don't have harmony. You heard how uh, these girls can harmonize. It's beautiful. And that's, that's a good thing. That's what you want. But sometimes if one person is off, right, and everybody else is just singing the same note, that's all it takes to kind of ruin the whole thing. Uh, and the choir director will try to get each one to sing and single out the one that can't, that's not on tune, and do something with them. I don't know what. But uh, that kind of harmony is what we want in our relationships, too. We want things to be in harmony. We don't want the sour note to ruin kind of the good thing we have going. But what we find is, is that we often have those sour notes in our lives, right? Because it's, it's hard to relate to people. I don't know, that's another observation I've made over the years. <clears throat> One of the reasons is that some people are weird. <laughs> They're just different. I happen to be one of those, I think. Uh, Another one is that some people are just real stinkers. They're just mean. They'll use you and abuse you and leave you. That's kind of like the old, hard, cold world we live in. And so having a relationship that's harmonious is a precious thing. It's not easy, is it? Any of you who are married know this, right? Communication problems and all kinds of other things. So what I want us to think about today is that we can, even though it's difficult, God desires us to love one another, to do good to one another, and so we can pursue harmony 
in all of our relationships. And we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 16 through 21. So we can pursue harmony in every relationship. God desires for us to love one another. As a parent, I know that one of the greatest, most wonderful, heart-lifting things was when my little kids were sweet to each other. I didn't even have to be part of the, the process there. It wasn't about me. They were sweet to each other. And that's God's view. He wants us to be like Him and love each other. So, uh, but it's not always possible, is it? Notice that I said you can pursue harmony in every relationship. I didn't say you can achieve harmony in every relationship. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it's just not possible. And that's the way it is. It's okay. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see that uh, the Bible tells us that that's, that's true. It's sometimes it's not possible to achieve harmony. We can pursue it as far as it depends on me, be at peace with all men is the key verse. So uh, as far as stinkers, I, I just wanted to tell you the little story. I, I had a little friend when I was eight or nine in elementary school, and his name was Scotty. What did I put in my water? And uh, I don't know why I liked him. It was one of those kind of friendships that I, I did kind of like him, and we played a lot together and did things. But he was a little strange. He was one of those kids. You ever meet those kids? They have like a little dab of speck of spit in each corner of their mouth. <laughs> have you ever seen this phenomenon? He was one of those guys. It was just like... What's that about? I don't get it. And he, but I found out pretty soon he, he, was a, he was kind of a stinker because I realized that I was taking my life in my hands uh, by being his friend. Because one time I was coming around the corner of my house, we were playing around the house, and he had this big, huge stick, like a, a, a rake handle or something, and right before I came around the corner, he whapped right in front of me. <coughs> and I thought to myself as a little kid, you know, what if his timing was just a little off? I would be out. He could have hit me right on the noggin easily. So I started reconsidering this relationship and kind of uh, went a different direction. But before that, he invited me over to his house to spend the night. So I hadn't really done a whole lot of that. But he lived down the street in the same neighborhood, down the street, turned the corner, and down at the end of the, the beginning of the neighborhood. So I, I spent the night. It was kind of chaotic. Uh, his parents were doing something with some friends, and they put us in Scotty's room, and he had a little... A sister and another of her friends, and it was just kind of weird. Uh, they turned the lights off, and we were supposed to play some kind of game. I didn't know what it was. So that was weird. And then <clears throat> when we were supposed to go to bed, uh, 
Scotty didn't want to go to bed. It's already dark. It was bedtime. I'm like, Scotty, I'm tired. Come on. He doesn't want to go to bed. So he starts kind of whining and squealing about it, which my dad is six foot two. He's huge. And when I was this big, I didn't whine or squeal at my house. <laughs> but he was doing that. He was causing all kinds of racket. And so his dad starts yelling at him, just, <gasps> and I wasn't used to that either. We didn't really yell at my house. My dad told us stuff, and we did it. So this was going on, and I'm just like, what on earth is this? How am I going to spend the night here? So I grabbed my stuff. I had already taken my socks and shoes off. Grabbed all my stuff that I had brought over, including my socks and shoes, and I made a break for it. <laughs> and I ran up. I'll never forget the feeling of, I'm free, running in my bare feet down on the asphalt up to my house. And I go in my house, and there's peace. Oh, my dad's sitting in his chair where he always sits. There's music playing. No yelling, no squealing and whining. It was just like, and I wasn't going to go back. So we don't, we don't always achieve harmony, but we want to try to seek it. Seek it in your own life. Pursue it in your relationships. And that's what this is about. How do we do that? How do we pursue harmony in every relationship? Uh, so let's look at the passage here. Romans 12, 16 through 21. Uh, and I'm going to start with verse 9. Uh, just to put a little context to it. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And here's our text. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's see if we can see some principles about how to pursue harmony. You know, having a peaceful existence and life is really important. To live in chaos and not be able to connect with people 
is a difficult thing to have to do. Uh, one of the things that I think God builds in to the way he made us is that we have families so that we can practice this living at peace and harmony with one another. If When you get married and have a family, you want that for your children and, your, and yourself and your spouse. You want that to be a harbor, a safe harbor in a crazy world. You don't want your children to come home and there it's more chaotic. And there's yelling and screaming like Scotty's dad. Uh, you want it to be peaceful. So this is what we're, we, God has put that desire in our hearts. And we want that to start with our family. But then it kind of ripples out so that we can be a harmonious person to everybody, even the people that are hateful and that persecute us. And that's what this is about. So how can I, uh, what are some ways, and I think the passage shows us that, that I can pursue harmony in every relationship. One is uh, treat everyone as of equal value. He says here in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. This is this idea of being harmony. Uh, don't be at odds all the time. Be of the same mind. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, you're not exalting yourself to a position where you're better than other people. You're of equal value to them. They're as valuable as you are in God's sight. There's no question that that's what the Bible tells us over and over. Each individual is of great value to God. How do we know that? For God so loved the world, that is, everybody in the sphere of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Everybody is valuable, is of the same value. So, we don't live out of pride. We don't, we're not wiser than other people, wise in our own estimation, as he says here. We associate with the lowly. We see the value in every person. Now, a worldly way of thinking is the opposite, isn't it? There's the elite group. The way to think about this basically is, uh, any of you remember junior high or middle school? What do I do with my water? Uh, junior high or middle school. Was there, were there any groups or was everybody equal? Did the teachers have to tell us, now everybody get in your groups. You're the druggies, you're the athletes, you're the nerds. Did the teachers have to do that? It just happens. That's how it goes. And you're going to be labeled, Right? So there's the cool people, <clears throat> the druggies we used to call freaks. I don't know if that was one of your, you, you know about freaks? That's cool. I don't know why. That was what they were called, junior high. 
And uh, I don't remember the other names. We had names for all of them. Well, that's the way the world works, dividing everything up. And you're of different value depending on your group. Wow, we even have that now today in our culture. According to race now. But the Bible says we're all of equal value. So we want to treat people that way. We want to treat whom we might be tempted to consider the lowly person, the person outside the group, treat them differently than we would the people in the group. Uh, What is a group for? Except to exclude someone, right? And to feel good that I'm in. That's how it works in the world. But not for Christians. Everyone is of great value, no matter who they are. So we want to practice that. Now, the family, amazingly, is the perfect picture of that because the family is not units. It's not the same thing. There's a father, very distinct role of a father. There's a mother, very different role. And then there's the children with their different personalities. Everybody is very different and on different levels in all kinds of ways. And yet, they're all of the same value. In fact, the father is valued because he's the father, right? The baby of the family is valued because they're the baby. See how that works? That's God's beautiful design that we can all be different and yet be loved. That's what he wants. So we want to demonstrate this and express this in our families especially. Don't ever make your children feel like they're secondary. Uh, Does does anybody ever do that to children? They're just a kid. They're not important. Remember the disciples? In, in the culture there, the, the, the kids are sort of like overlooked. They're not important. But they wanted to come and see Jesus, and the parents were bringing people to have Jesus bless their little children. And the disciples, what, what is this? this is not, we don't have time for this. So yeah, it happens. So treat everyone as of equal value, as of equal value to you, obviously. There's nobody that doesn't value themselves in a, in, in a sense, even if they get down on themselves. So I remember my little, when my daughter Sarah was little and she went to a Christian school. Becky taught there. I was a pastor. I was out in the, in the country in North Carolina. It was a good little Christian school and Sarah was in, I don't know, grade, third grade or something. And she had some friends, and it was really fun for her. But there was one girl that was kind of a sad sack. You know sad sacks? She was droopy. And had sort of stringy blonde hair, and she kind of clamped on to Sarah and wanted Sarah to be her friend. Have you ever had that experience? 
Did you feel like I'm wasting my time with the sad sack when I could be with the cool people? Anybody? <laughs> if we're honest, that's the temptation. So I remember taking this group of girls and students out, and we went to see some little uh, petting zoo or something like that with gardens around, and it was a special outing for the kids. And I was chaperoning and helping with that. And here's Sarah with all her friends, and we get out of the school van. Sarah's walking toward this cool thing they're going to with all her friends, and they're walking, and here comes the sad sack out of the van. You know, and there's Sarah and her friends. So Sarah happens to look back, and she sees her, and she goes back, grabs her by the hand, brings her. I don't know why, I, I, but I always get emotional when I think about that. To me, I had nothing to do. I didn't tell her to do that. I wasn't, Sarah, go be a friend to that girl. Oh, boy. You know. She just did that. That's what we're talking about. To value everyone. Everyone's not fun to be with, are they? But they're valuable. So we take the time. So that works. It works in the family. It works at school, at your work, with the outside world who need to know Christ. A lot of those people are not very lovable, are they? So treat everyone as of equal value. Associate with the lowly. Don't be proud. Don't be a, a grouper. And then number two, respect the other's point of view. How can we pursue harmony in our relationship? Respect the other person's point of view. He says here in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So, What, what we do when we pay back evil for evil, which is a great temptation, isn't it? Somebody hurts you, I'll get him, right? We're supposed to not do that. But if we take up that mantle of I'm going to judge his evil and I'm going to execute justice upon him, what are we doing? We're making me, little old me, the judge of the world, right? Right? I have deemed that you have done evil and you shall pay. Now, if you look in the book of James, he says, who are you to judge somebody else? So taking up that role that only one person in the universe really and truly, legitimately can take up, and that's God. For myself is always a mistake to pay back evil for evil. So what I want to do instead of that natural thing, taking my own little standard, which is usually anything that's good for me is good for the world. Anything that's bad for me is bad for the world, you know. It's all focused on me. 
That's my judgment. You hurt me, therefore you're evil, therefore. I want to branch out a little bit. And as it says here, uh, respect what is right in the sight of all men. So respect the other's point of view. What do they think? Not just my own point of view about everything. So that I'm judge, jury, and executioner of anybody who crosses me. See the difference there? This is so normal that people can go through their whole Christian lives and they're judge, jury, and executioner through their whole life. But I love Jesus. Have you known these people? Think about it from the other point of view. Have you ever known somebody that you said something or did something and they got all crossways with you and you did not see that coming? Because from your point of view, what you said or did was neutral. It wasn't that big of a deal. You didn't even mean any evil at all, but they took it that way. Anybody ever had that? I remember working with a guy one time. He was in charge of the the organization. And he, he had a beef with me. I was just, I didn't know. And he told me what it was. You want me to tell you? Yeah. It was that when I came in in the morning, when I happened to get there first, I didn't make the coffee. He he didn't like that. I tried to explain to him that I didn't even know who made the coffee. I brought my own coffee in my mug from my home. Etc. Etc. I didn't even think about it. But he was mad at me for something I never would have fathomed. But that was his standard. I get here early and make the coffee, and I'm a good guy. See? Do we do that? Even as Christians, pat ourselves on the back and then judge others according to how we pat. And then upbraid them. Justice has been done. The non-coffee maker has been told off. (laughs) See? Try to branch out a little bit. See how other people think. How do they see the world? What was it from their point of view? Not just mine alone, as if it's the standard. It's not. You know why? Because you're evil. I'm evil. I'm a sinner. I'm faulty. Why on earth would I trust my own judgments about things? When I have a book that tells me the proper judgments as a Christian that I can learn from. And of course, he's going to tell us more about this, which is never take your own revenge, verse 19, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Respect the other's point of view. Try to understand it from their point of view. Does this work in marriage? Well, you said this and so forth. And Well, this is, I didn't mean it to a certain way. You have to talk that out, right? Sometimes, every once in a while, I'll 
uh, look at Becky. And when I look at Becky, I have to look down. She's short. When I look at Joe, I have to look up. Hi, Joe. So this is what it feels like to be Joe. This is nice <laughs> up here on the platform. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll try to see the world from her point of view, so I'll do this. <laughs> wow. Everything's bigger. <laughs> I don't know if she likes that. <laughs> she sort of chuckles. Mm. But everybody's got a different perspective. Don't we want to kind of be sensitive to that? Does this line up with the golden rule? Do you want somebody to take your side? To understand your point of view? Yeah, every day, every second. I would love for somebody to ask me what I think, what my point of view is, wouldn't you? So do that. Don't run around with the judgment eye on everybody. But we so easily do that. I know that I sense myself doing that. And if somebody's coming in and crowding my world that I've got fixed up, they're a threat. Instead of trusting God. And finding out who that person is that I think is a threat. What are they about? What do they think about life? What kind of personality? So we don't retaliate. We try to understand. Isn't that what I, how I want to be treated? Yes. That works in a family, in a marriage, etc. Look at it from the person's, the other person's point of view. And so the key verse here is verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This is one of the... So many times, even as Christians, we get this upside down. Who's responsible for the relationship going well and for me feeling good? The other person, right? They did it. They made me feel bad. They didn't come up to my standard. But what does it say here? As far as it depends on you. Transfer all that responsibility you put on them and put it on you. Then you're free not to have to judge them, not to have to fix them. Let them be who they are. Is that how you want to be treated? Do you want to be fixed? That's the Holy Spirit's job. As far as it depends on you. Be at peace now with all men. He starts out here, uh, be devoted to one another with brotherly love, but he ends up with do good to your enemy. So this is a universal principle of seeking harmony in all your relationships. So number three is let God be judged between you and others. So treat everyone as of equal value. Respect the other point of view. Let God be judged between you and others. He's the real judge. 
So he says in verse 19, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Let God be the final judge. I don't repay evil for evil. What a, what a freedom that is. To know that he's the judge. It's not up to me to make sure justice is done on this person. Have you, has anybody ever told you, well, you better forgive because that's the Christian thing. What, you're judging me? Because I'm not, I mean, it's, it's true. But is it easy to forgive people who never ask you? No, it's hard. Because we want justice. But what do we do with that desire? We place it in the hands of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you at the proper time. He'll do the right thing. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. So I trust Him to judge and to make sure justice is done. So I'm free. All those things that bother me, it's more like being a little kid. When you're a little kid, you don't care who's the president or what's going on, the affairs of men, right? Because you know mom and dad are going to take care of that. So all the injustice that you experience yourself, you can lay that on God and say, it's okay. I'm going to let you be the judge. There's a great freedom in being able to do that. Besides that, it's hard to judge things for ourselves is very complex. I remember as a parent, my, my kids, Sarah and Jonathan, would come, and, Dad, he did this. Well, he did that. And, you know, she and he, sorry. And I'll try to, well, what happened? And try to go through it like a, an arbitrator, you know, and try to get the whole story, see if I could, you know, figure it out like Solomon and most of the time, I, I couldn't even figure it out myself. This complex little kerfuffle between these two kids. I didn't know really who was in the, what should I do? I don't know. So I spanked them both. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Tried to teach them through that. Love each other. It reminds me of my dad. If we ever had my brother when I was growing up, was only 15 months younger, we would fight. Mainly his fault, to say it. And my dad, what he would do, he wouldn't even try to do anything and make some kind of judgment. He would say, well, what? come here, boys. Here's what I want you to do. Stand us in the middle of the living room. All right, I want you to hug each other. I didn't want to hug that guy. But as I said, my dad's six foot two. We don't have any choice. <laughs> and he has a belt and everything. So you know what would happen? By the time I, you know, being obedient, even though I didn't want to, gave him a hug. No, a good hug, you know. We would start giggling. And it was funny. And forget about the whole thing. 
There was some wisdom in that. So I can't judge very well because everything's too complex for me anyway, so I may as well let God be the judge because that's his job. That's not my job. So let God be the judge between you and others, not you again. You take up that burden and it's going to be too much for you and you're going to turn into a bitter old sourpuss who everyone who comes into your, swims into your kin, in other words, comes into your presence, is going to be a target for your wrath. You know people like that. Don't become one of those. Let God be the judge between you, you and others. And then set your policy as to seek good for the other person, as far as it depends on you. Seeking good for the other person. That's what I want to do. Now, am I going to be very good at it? No, I have to practice. I have to quit focusing on me and focus on them. What's good for them? Because all day long, even as a Christian, I could totally concentrate on what's good for me. Anybody know about that? Totally. Instead of what's good for them. Now, do you think two people that get married and both of them are thinking what's good for them, would that work better? What's good for the other person? Not what's good for me. And that's the focus. Why can I, why do I have the freedom to stop thinking about what's good for me all the time? Because God loves me. (laughs) Everything works together for me, for good. He cares about me. I can trust him. Which means I don't have to trust myself to make sure everything's good for me. So I have the freedom to make sure something's good for somebody else. So that's the family. That's and ripples out to the people who are outside. Uh, So it says here, In verse 19, never take your own revenge. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Uh, It reminds me of recently, uh, Brandon was working over at the job site where these apartments are growing up, and he cut down some, he got rid of some trees that had fallen over in a storm uh, with this lady who had complained and been a big thorn in the flesh for us trying to, get these apartments done. And she really kind of softened, I think. But doing good when somebody else is your enemy, that's not easy. That's the next point, though. And that is be an influence for what's right, for goodness, for righteousness in every relationship. That's family on out to to people who may, may persecute you. So he ends saying, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. So that is, I'm going to do good even to my enemy. I'm going to give him a drink. I'm not going to judge him. Um, and then do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So be the influence for what is good in every relationship. Uh, how do we face persecution? How do we face people that say they hate us or that we're haters? Um, it says over here, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's, that's difficult. That's very difficult. So if we will endure and persevere and do what's right, return good when we receive evil, then we know the Bible tells us, then you're like your Father in heaven. So we continue to do that. Every relationship, st standing for what's right, being a model of what's good, rather than the knee-jerk reaction that I'd like to do, which is to get back at the person. So be the influence for what's right, for what's good in every relationship, and do the good that you can for the other people. I remember uh, one of the uh, lines in the, uh, the Lord of the Rings. I, I, when I was a kid, I started reading Lewis and Tolkien. I became an enormous fan of all their works, and so I read them over the years. And then the movies came out. I really enjoyed those. But uh, in one of the movies, <clears throat> they're all under attack, and the orcs are there, and they <clears throat> these flying dragons, and it's all horrible. And Sam and Frodo are kind of running around trying to escape. And Sam says to Frodo, it's all going to be worth it because there's good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. If there's good in this world, where is it? It's right there. It's you. To not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our great privilege to be the good in this world, to represent that for other people, for your children and your grandchildren and the people who don't know Christ. By when somebody's evil to you, you return good. So if we do that, we'll be like Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as he died for the sins of the world. It's not easy, but we can pursue harmony in every relationship, setting aside our own judgments, letting God be the judge, understanding the other person, and then standing up for the good, being the good, enduring in that like Jesus endured the cross. And be, in that sense, salt and light in this world. Uh, this whole thing of pouring burning coals on, on your head, if, if you give your enemy a drink or if he's hungry, feed him. I think it means... Get, you're getting that enemy's attention because he's thinking, why are you doing this? This is different. 
This is not the way of everyone in the world. The enemy is there to strike out at, not to do good. Nobody thinks that way. Why are you doing that? And so perhaps he'll become under conviction for his own evil and repent. So that's one of the uh, benefits or the effects of when we stand up for what's right, do good even in the face of evil. Now, is that just for the people outside? All those people out there that are worldly? Or can you be hurt by somebody really close to you? Yeah. But it still applies, doesn't it? Do good, even if it's somebody close to you who's hurt you. And let God be the judge. Try to understand them. And then you'll have a lot more harmony and peace than you would otherwise in all your relationships. Now, that's the way to live and reflect Christ. What about those hurts that we receive? God will use those. God can heal, like we sang that song, mend our hearts. He gives us new hearts, and he can heal us. He has healing in his wings, as as the Bible says, and he can heal those hurts. Let him do that. Don't take it up yourself and make it your cause to get vengeance, to execute judgment on somebody else, but let God heal you. That's real healing. Uh, And let him be the judge of the world. Step aside from that role and do good for other people. Now, this is not easy. It's not something that's like, Every day you get up, oh, yeah, it's easy. Let me go love a lot of people, you know. This is difficult. That's why we have these instructions to help us to see it, to get this perspective so that we're not proud, we're not wise in our own estimation, running around and treating people in that way, but we see them as of great value. So let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us. You're so patient. You're so merciful. You're so gracious to us in so many ways. Thank you that you can heal us of our hurts. Thank you that we can bring those things to you over and over and over. When our little lives are broken, we bring them to you and you can put them back together again. Help us not to take things into our own hands and through our own ego and pride judge and condemn other people. Lord, give us your patience and your love for other people. As Paul said, that you've poured out your heart your love in our hearts. Help us to demonstrate that as we live in our families, friendships, in our work relationships, at school, and Lord, especially to the outsiders, the ones who don't know you. Give us the opportunity, Lord, 
to show them the same kind of patience and mercy that you show, have shown us. Thank you for your love for us that carries us along, that we can trust you in everything, even these complicated and sometimes <clears throat> hurtful relational matters. Put them in your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.